Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. For life is more than food, and your body is more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are tomorrow. He will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it, and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to church. I greet you in the name of my Savior, and I'm happy that we're here together. Um, Mom, Esther, thank y'all for reading. Um, what a lovely day to be together. What a great weekend. Yeah, great uh, weekend. My bride and I spent the better part of yesterday with our grandson out at a farm <clears throat> out near Somerville. And um, it was his, it's, his birthday's not till next week, but we were celebrating his birthday and we went out and I got my hands on some explosives and, uh, we, and we went out and uh, blew up all kind of great stuff and sh shot every kind of gun imaginable. And uh, we just had a great time. Built a bonfire that last night and cooked out and it was a, it was a good day. Happy birthday, Teddy. Happy birthday, Teddy. Happy yeah. birthday, lad. Yes, yes, yes. It was Larry's yes, birthday as well. Yes, yes. all right, all right. <clears throat> um, real quickly, before, I got one more announcement for you. And uh, if you have, if you know me at all, then the announcement will make perfect sense. What, if read you, your Bible every day? I've never. Uh, if, if you don't know me very well, then it might be a little confusing, but I'm gonna, you'll, you'll have to just trust me. I'm, I'm gonna retire in three Sundays, counting today, on the 29th of this month. And uh, I'm gonna throw myself uh, my very own retirement party. And it's gonna be at Kim and Jerry's house. They very kindly and graciously offered to be the host. And uh, it's gonna be at five o'clock that Sunday night at their home. And it's just, it's gonna be very simple, very straightforward. We're gonna have some refreshments. And I'd like to invite y'all to come and be a part of it. But I wanna, uh, there's not gonna be any speeches. There's not gonna be any testimonies. There's gonna be a big bowl. Kim's gonna provide a big bowl to put in the middle of the kitchen counter. And if you'd like to write me a note and put it in the bowl that I can read later on, or actually that Shirley will probably read to me. That is the truth. Um, uh, then, then I'll do that and I can keep those. But it's just gonna be a time where I can 
enjoy the people that I love most. And I want to ask you, it is not intended for you to feel the need to call up family and friends and Romans and countrymen from the past and invite them to come. They're not invited. <laughs> They're not invited. This is for the people that are in my church family now. Okay? So that's what I, this is for me. And uh, when you get to retire and throw yourself a party, you can do it any way you dead gum want. But uh, this is the way I'd like it. So I'll remind everyone of this next Sunday and then the following Sunday. But if you want to, come by the Bowdens on the 29th around 5 o'clock. And like I said, we'll have some refreshments. But really what I'd like to do is just sit around and enjoy the people that I love the most on the planet. So that's what we're going to do. All right. Um, this is... Um, a special lesson um, for me in particular, and thank you for participating. Um, I struggle in a lot of areas of my Christian life. The list is long, and we can do it by date or by level of difficulty, but I don't have any struggles in my life that are older are more serious than my struggle with trusting God to provide for me and to meet uh, my needs. Notice you don't see my wife beside me going, no, that's not true. No, she knows it better than anybody. I, it is a real struggle for me to Trust God's faithfulness and abundance to provide for me and meet my needs. I grew up in a home um, by most people's definition that was full of abundance. And we didn't have golden commodes or, you know, Tiffany chandeliers necessarily, but I never lacked for anything. Never lacked for anything. It was a lovely home, wonderful home, and it was full of abundance. But it was also a home that it took me 20 years to understand this. Because when you're a kid and you grow up in an, in an environment, in an atmosphere, you don't really, it's all you know. It's, it's like the air. It, it's what's there. And so I didn't understand but in the midst of the abundance that my mom and dad worked very hard to provide, and I'm very grateful for, there was also this atmosphere of stress, of scarcity. Yes, we have a good life, but it could run out tomorrow. It could be gone tomorrow. And there was always this, especially at the first of the month, <laughs> everybody knew to make themselves scarce. Um, there was just this, this uh, fear that there wouldn't be enough. This worry, this stress that permeated the atmosphere 
of my home growing up. And it impacted me profoundly. I'm not blaming my parents. I'm not blaming anybody. It was the exact same atmosphere that my dad grew up in. And my grandfather and my great-grandfather. So it's not a matter of blaming anybody. It's not that. It's just this, there was this fear when there was anything unexpected or over the top as far as affecting the finances. It was a, it was, it, it was tough. I'm just, I'm just telling you. And, and you, like I said, I didn't even recognize it growing up. But later on, I looked back and I did. Let me just give you a couple of examples of how it affected me. Shirley and I had been dating about six months. Maybe, yeah, about six months. My dad was always, he was always making deals. Always making deals to, to, to generate extra money. Had a good job was very successful, but he always was doing these deals to, to generate extra income so that we could live an even better life. So one day he said, Larry, I was a senior in high school, he said, uh, Larry, I sold a guy up in Nashville uh, a bunch of urethane. That's what he sold was these floor sealant, uh, sealant kind of stuff for uh, warehouses and shop, uh, 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 stores and and showrooms and and uh, it was very expensive and it was very good uh, and he he said I sold a guy in Nashville uh, 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 all this urethane and I, he bought way too much and he won't tenant the company he worked for wouldn't buy it back he said but I told the guy that I'll I Larry I'll buy it back and uh, then I, I'll turn around and I'll sell it again. And he said, if you'll go to, I had, a, I had a little business, I swept parking lots, I bought a sweeper and a, a scrubber and a, 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 a thing to strike parking lots. And, uh, and I had this little business going on. And uh, so I had this trailer. And he said, uh, if you'll drive up to Nashville and get some of that urethane and bring it back, uh, you can make some money. Well, as it turned out, uh, but the last thing he said to me is he says, now, boy, don't, your trailer will only hold 80 five-gallon cans. Don't get more than 80. I said, yes, sir. Which me saying yes, sir, was like saying, you know. Anyway, so I said, Shirley, hey, drive to Nashville with me. We'll get some urethane. I'll get this urethane. It won't take just a, you know, half a day or better part of a day. Best pickup line ever. <laughs> Go to Nashville with me and we'll pick up some urethane. <laughs> and so um, I get to Nashville, go to the warehouse, all this urethane is there. And so I'm figuring in my mind that if I get 85 gallon <laughs> cans of urethane, I'll make about $2,000 by the time it's all said and done, bringing it back and reselling it. Well, if you could make $2,000 with 80 cans, what could you do with 160 cans? Well, that's a lot of money. I mean, sure enough, I can't match time. I can't drop you. So the man's watching me put these 160 five-gallon cans of urethane on this trailer that, that really couldn't carry 80. 
We get in the car and we start driving down I-40 back toward Memphis and we don't get 30 minutes, 20 maybe, minutes, maybe. 20 minutes. We decide to blow out the tire on the trailer. So we pull off to the side of the road and um, I don't have a spare tire for the trailer. So I got to take the tire off, take it, find the garage, get it fixed, and then come back. So I had to unload all the urethane. On the side of the road, I-40. Yeah. Before I could change it. I get it all up there. And while I'm working on the tire, all this urethane is off to the side. This truck, just to be a jerk, swerved over and ran over a, a, a significant amount of the urethane just be a jerk. And when he hit that urethane, a w <laughs> when I tell you a wave, I mean a, like a Florida wave in the ocean of urethane came over me, the trailer, my car. It's a miracle of God. We would not be married today if it had gotten on her, but it, it didn't. It, she ran out of the way. She was sitting on the back of my car you know, just talking to me, yes. and uh, while I was working, and uh, and I was so happy that you, I know were. you were, and uh, um, uh, and didn't get on her, but it it covered everything else. What you have to know about polyurethane is the minute it hits the air, it congeals. So it covered me, and this happened on Friday, and our senior prom was Saturday night, and so. End of the story is I lost a third of the urethane and then by the time I had to, we had to get home and I had to come back and get it another time and I, it was a, an absolute disaster. I wound up not even making the two grand, much less the four. It was a, a nightmare and on, literally for the next two and a half hours, you had to drive 55 back then, mm -hmm. um, next maybe three hours, Sherry sat in the back seat of the car and took every strand of my hair and pulled that urethane off out of my hair. It had all beaded up on yeah. every hair fall. And, uh, and it covered my, it got on my face, my arms. It was a, it was a nightmare. But I, I couldn't let go of the possibility of getting four grand instead of two. It was, it was just, it was irresistible. Um, move fast forward. Shirley and I, we don't do it as much anymore, but there for a while we went to New York, to Manhattan a lot. And one of our favorite things to do is we'd hop on the subway, go down to Battery Park, and walk back to where our hotel would be around Central Park. And we'd go through uh, Wall Street and uh, Chinatown and... Uh, uh, Little, Little Italy. Italy and then Greenwich and then what's that other uh, whatever Soho we would go through all these walking back and we would eat something different in every place it's great I mean one of my favorite things in the whole world to do so we're walking through Wall Street Randy and Colton were actually with us yeah yeah Randy and Colton were with us great trip I've got my family it's a beautiful day we're having a blast and there's a hot dog vendor <laughs> right on the corner of Wall Street. 
selling hot dogs, and he has a sign, hot dogs, $3. Well, I have to have one. I'm hungry. So I buy me a $3 hot dog on Wall Street, and I'm eating, and I'm enjoying it. Nothing, nothing has changed. We walk about four blocks, and there's another hot dog man, and he's selling the very same hot dogs for $2. And I get hopping mad. I cannot believe that I wasted a dollar. We're in Manhattan having a great time. We walk another four blocks, and dang it, there's not a hot dog man selling hot dogs for a dollar. <laughs> well, by the time this, I'm furious. He talked I, about hot dogs for three days. Oh, I was, it, 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 it had the potential of ruining my trip over a $2. But it was the $2. I have wasted $2. And I have so many other stories that I would love to tell y'all. My wife and my daughter and my son-in-law uh, unkindly tease me that I am a, I, I try to use the last of, I don't let things, I don't throw away things that where there's some in the bottom. I make sure it's emptied and <laughs> You will not, but you would not believe it. Like the peanut butter at the bottom of the jar, it's hard to get down into the very bottom oh, of a big I thing. Can of peanut. Oh, I can do it. It looks, it's clean. It's like somebody yeah. stuck his head in there and licked it all clean. Yes, I, it's, um, I, it's unbelievable. Whether it's shampoo, peanut butter, mayonnaise, I don't throw away things until it's empty. Same with leftovers. They'll. Cold and rainy, Charlie, they'll have a refrigerator full of leftovers. They just go out to dinner like they've got good sense. I mean, just, just going out and eating and living, it, living big. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we got leftovers. We had a taco from Taco Bell, two tacos. We used to eat Taco Bell on Wednesday night. Anyway, um, tacos in there, and it was like Tuesday the next week. Nothing wrong with a taco. It's the week old. And Larry's eating that, that taco from a Oh, it's Taco so Bell. Good. And I said, that is, that is so gross. That is over a year. Oh, I, mmm. Because it's not waste. Actually, it's a, when you eat leftovers, then you're getting two meals for the price of one. How can you beat that deal? And we, I laugh about it with y'all, and it is sort of funny. <laughs> but it is a deal. It is a, I cannot... The idea of throwing away leftovers, throwing away a can that's got a little bit of whatever at the bottom of it. Uh, one more, one more. I know we need to get started. This very morning, Larry's up early. He sits on the back porch. There's lights on the back porch, and we read out there in the morning some and at night some or whatever. There's plenty of light out on the back porch. He's over there in the corner. There's a, there's a lamp that has two bulbs. You have to pull two different things. He's got the one on and he's doing this. And I'm like, uh, I come out there and I'm like, Oh, she's up. like John D. Rockefeller. She's just flipping on lights on. everywhere like the light. And I'm like, what are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Good saying. <clears throat> I can't help it. It is a part why would you put turn two lights on when one will do? Why <laughs> so would you? Won't you go blind. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Having said all of that, one of my greatest regrets. I tried hard to be a good husband. I, I really did. Um, um, I tried 
even harder to be a good father. Um, but when I look back at those roles, I have such regret and sadness over making too big a deal about money, getting stressed, getting upset, getting mad, making them feel bad for turning on an extra light. Or the air conditioner. Well, I'm just green. Is I, that's all that I'm, I'm just trying to be a good environmentalist. Uh, My father used to come to our house in the summer and turn the air conditioner on and leave a dollar on top he of the would, thermostat. He would leave a dollar on the... He, on did. The, he says, can we turn the air on? I'll put the, and I'd say, you're a funny man. Uh, anyway, um, but just getting stressed. And here's the thing. It wasn't that there wasn't provision. There was provision. It was, and it's still, it's in my mind that it might not be here tomorrow. This scarcity, this fear, this stress, this worry, and it all winds up being anger. Anger that things are being wasted. Anger that things might not turn out well. Uh, oh, that I had instead been open and honest with you and Rainey about what I was worrying about, how I felt. But you don't tell your wife and your children what you're worried about or what you're stressed about or what you're... Of course, you, ne you would never do that. How wrong would it be for a husband to be open and honest and transparent with his family? You can't... Do, I, you know, I couldn't do that. Oh, that I had used those opportunities when maybe there was some lack or, or not an abundance. To, as a, rather than using it as a platform to get mad, oh, that I had used it to teach my daughter how to, how to be thankful when there's abundance and when there's not, how to learn to be content, how to trust God, how to go to God and ask Him to meet this. But see, I wasted all those opportunities because I was so worried, so stressed, so angry, or, or out of this fear that there wouldn't be enough. I just want to declare to you today, and I, I, I've never taught you anything that is more true. In contrast to my foolishness, my greed, my covetousness, my lack of faith, my worry, my anger, I want you to hear me. The God of the Bible and the God that dwells in my heart has been faithful. Every day of my life, I have never 
lacked what I needed. Not one day, not one hour. All of that worry, all of that stress, all of that anger, all of that conflict, it was wasted. It was wasted because God has been faithful. And not just that, he has been abundant in my vision for me. I read through the Bible and I just think about, you know, from, from the, from the get-go, you start reading through your Bible in January and you just right out of the gate, Adam and Eve, he makes Adam. Adam, you need, what do you need? I sure would love a, a, a partner. I'll make you one. I need a place to live and to work. I'll make you one. I'll provide one for you. Would you like some children? When you fail, would you like a, a solution? Would you like something that will address your failure? I've got it taken care of. When one of your children dies tragically, violently, I'll replace that hole in your heart with something else. I mean, you can go right through the Bible. Cain, God, he, God, I'm scared that when I leave home and start wandering, people are going to kill me. Cain, I'll take care of that. I will provide for you. Noah, I'll provide for you a refuge in the storms of life. Abraham, Sarah, what do you want? What do you dream of? What do you long for? We want a son. We want a baby. I'll meet that need. I'll meet that need. Jacob and his sons, what do you want? What do you, in, when there's famine and when there's conflict and when there's need and when there's problems, I'll take care of you. You are mine and I take care of mine. And you can just go right on through the Bible and see how the people, did the people of God have problems and pains? Did they suffer? Did they go through difficult? Absolutely. But the testimony of the Old Testament is that God will provide faithfully and abundantly for his own. You go to the New Testament. Jesus says, I, uh, uh, Esther read it, and my, no, who did my, and mom read it. Jesus, I will provide for you. Who came to Jesus with a need, and the need wasn't met? Shout out a name. Shout out a Bible name of someone that came to Jesus with a real need, and Jesus said, no, I will not meet that need. Because there's I don't hear a name because there's not any. What do you need? Uh, Paul says in Philippians, here, let me get my Bible verses out here. Philippians chapter, <clears throat> chapter 4, my God will meet all of your needs according to the glorious riches of Jesus Christ. The New Testament declares, what do you need? I need forgiveness. 
Man, I've screwed up a bunch and I've got the weight of sin on my life. God, I need forgiveness. Okay. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What do you need? I need wisdom to make good decisions. Decisions that I won't regret. Decisions that I'll be happy with down the road. A year from now and five years from now and ten years from now. Okay. If you lack wisdom, ask of God. And you will receive it because God gives wisdom liberally. What do you need? God, I live in fear. I live in worry. I live in doubt. I need strong faith. I need strong faith. Second Peter, you have been given a faith that is as precious as ours. In Ephesians 2, for by grace are you saved through faith. For it, the faith, is a gift of God. I need faith. How do you get faith? Faith comes from hearing. Hearing what? The Word of God. God will provide the faith that we need. I need direction. John 14 and John 16 declare that the Holy Spirit who lives in you will guide you and direct you and show you the way that you are to go so that you experience abundance in your life what do you need I need provision and I need resources Jesus says in Matthew 7 he who asks will receive he who seeks will find he who knocks the door will be open which of you if you have a son and he asks for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will he give him a snake if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? And I could go on and on with when we're dealing with the def uh, my need is I'm being attacked. I've got strongholds. I've got areas in my life that are so weak. Every time I try to stand up against things, I'm, I'm weak, not strong, and I get my fanny whipped spiritually. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, our weapons are not like the weapons of the world. Our weapons have divine power, and they will demolish strongholds and everything trying to imprison and ruin you. What do you need? I need a refuge because I'm... I don't know how long I'm going to live. I don't know when the day will come. One of my good friends, I don't know exactly how old Tim was, 45, give or take, uh, something like that. This guy was... Early 50s. He was, okay, early 50s. I hired him at Bellevue. Great guy. You talking about healthy, he was John Hahn Jr. He ran Ironmans and triathlons and didn't eat anything but roots and tree bark. He was the, he was the healthiest person I know. Last Saturday, a week ago yesterday, has five kids, five boys, died. Dead as a doornail. But I can tell you about Tim. When he faced death, do you know what his declaration was when he opened his eyes? 
Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? God has given me victory through my relationship with Jesus Christ. I just want to declare to you today that in my life personally and in my understanding of God's dealings with His people from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, God is faithful. He is faithful. When the Bible declares in Psalm 34, lions may grow weak and hungry, but people who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And in Psalm 145, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. It's literally at the perfect time. You open your hand and you satisfy the desires of every living thing. I have wasted hundreds of thousands of hours worrying about how I'm going to take care of my wife and my daughter. I have hurt them and alienated them and just taken the joy out of life from them because I, I, I chose to bear that weight. I'm just like Jacob. Jacob was, he was born into wealth, he lived in wealth, and he died in wealth. And he lived like a pauper. He was always stressed, always conniving, always cheating, always manipulating, always living like, if I'm going to eat my next meal, it's, it's on me. It's all on me. And everybody in the world is trying to take it from me. And I can tell you, that is a hellish way to live. It's a hellish way to make your family live. And I'm not talking about these spiritual rear ends on TV that are talking about being millionaires and uh, all that kind of stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what the Bible's talking about. I'm just declaring that if we... Mom or Esther 1 read, Seek first the kingdom of God. And if you will, God will add to your life everything you need and more. That has been my experience with God. That's the testimony of my life. And that is the testimony, I believe, if we could get Adam to, to the Apostle John, at the end of Revelation, oh, when he, yeah, his book, and say, guys, tell me about God's faithfulness. Tell me about God's provision. Tell me, how, is God trustworthy? I was talking to a precious lady yesterday on my back porch, yesterday morning. Precious. 
And um, they're having some family challenges and struggles. And um, she just said, I'm really struggling with, you know, I, I love uh, this person, but I'm just struggling with trusting them. And I said, well, that, what, I, I don't even understand what's that got to do with it. Love and trust have nothing to do with each other. God loves me and you, but he doesn't trust us. Where, where in the Bible does it say God trusts you? He knows you and he knows me. He knows we're a bad loan uh, risk on our best day. Tr tr love and trust have nothing to do with each other. I find it very significant. I don't know how many there are, 36, give or take, of these one another's, love one another, forgive one another, pray for one another, rejoice with one another, weep with one another, serve one another. You know all those one another's. I find it very significant. Never once is there a trust one another. Hmm. Because all those other one another's are choices. I choose to pray for you. I choose to forgive you. I choose to serve you. I choose to love you. I, 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 all those one another's are choices. Trust is not a choice. Trust is a response to track record. There's somebody that I trust probably more than anybody in this world. You know who it is? The son. Every morning for 64 years and two days. It comes up. I trust the son because of the son's track record. It's the only reason I trust it. I don't love the son. Love has nothing to do with it. Trust has to do with track record. Even when another planetary object comes in front of it. That's exactly. It comes Lord, back. she's throwing in these eclipses and all this stuff. Yeah, no, yeah, that's exactly right. Thank you. It's that's still there. It's still Even there. It's dark. It's a, it's no, it's a there. great, that's... When I can see it and when I can't, on cloudy days and clear days, I trust the track record of the sun. My precious family, I love you more than life itself. I declare to you that the track record of God in my life and the track record of God in this book I have no choice but to declare that God has a track record that declares He is trustworthy to provide for us, to meet our needs, to give us that which we need for that day. My problem is when I doubt Him, it's because I don't know Him. Oh, that I would spend the time rather than worrying and fretting and getting mad and walking around the house flicking off lights and air conditioners, oh, that I would spend that time just telling God what my needs are and asking Him to meet them and seeing what He does next. The God of the Bible and the God of your pastor is faithful to provide abundantly and meet the needs of my life. And he'll do the same for you because I think he probably loves you and likes you better than he does me. So if you'll do it for me, throw in there, sister, he'll do it for you. Okay? 
Anything you want to throw in there, Sister? Sister B? Just one last thing I thought of in closing. So back in the day, early years and of our marriage, early perhaps decades of our marriage, um, back when everybody was paying their bills with checks, with physical, you know, before the internet, with phys physical things, um, he would do it once a month. And at the end of that day, that, that check writing time, he would come out of the room and start flicking off lights and flicking off, turn the air conditioner off and everything. And he would say, for 25 or 30 years, we're going under. Oh, he yeah. would shout. We were. We're going under. We were, the, we were the Titanic. I mean, we were the Rays. Yeah. You know, and we'd mm. eat, you know, you know, peanut butter. That's why we ate all the peanut butter from the bottom of the jar. <clears throat> and one year, one season, many years later, we would tease Larry all the time. We're going under. <laughs> Yeah, she and Randy would just tease like, I'm like, I'm, I'm serious. I'm not joking, you know. Well, finally, after a period of time, I realized that he had stopped saying that. Probably months back, but it takes a minute, right? I, I finally realized, he's not saying that anymore. And I said to my father, who teased him the hardest about going under, um, I said to Geezer, Larry doesn't say, oh, Larry doesn't say we're going under anymore. And he said, that's because he knows you're not going under. That's what faith is. Yes. You're not going under. Mm. Come on, let's go. Okay. Am I, well, well, sucker Bill, I don't know what I need to do. Oh, there we go. All right. I'm not saying that God does not give us direction for our lives through the provision He gives. And He wants us to be wise. And He wants us to learn to be content with what we have rather than being so consumed with what we don't have. He wants us to work hard. This attitude, well, I want a miracle. I'm believing God for a miracle. I'm expecting a check in the mail. What you need to do is get your rear end at it's your job is what you need to do. God honors hard work. God honors frugality. God honors saving. God honors taking a, a sacrificial um, portion of the abundance that he gives us and passing that on to those in need. And God honors those things. God blesses those things and God wants us to do that. And when we choose not to do those things, that creates special problems and challenges. So I'm not, I'm not talking about laziness and irresponsibility and just living crazy. That's not, that's, not what I, that's not what I mean. I'm just telling us. I'm telling you, oh, that I could take back 40 some odd years what a waste to spend all that time worrying and stressed and angry and complaining. Um, what a waste. Okay. Uh, Kevin, Lisa, would y'all come up here, please, ma'am? And uh, Brennan, Leslie, would y'all come up here on this side, please? We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Dad Gummidge got to be up. Schwarzenegger to pull that thing. <laughs>
<laughs> of all the things that God has provided for us in abundance, it's that which is needed so that we can be reunited with Him and become a part of His family and experience the intimacy and the joy and the peace that He intended for Adam and Eve forever. They lost that. And because they lost it, we've lost it too. But God said, I want to provide that which is more than sufficient to restore that, that intimacy. And so he sent his son to die on the cross, proved that what Jesus did on the cross really, really would, was sufficient. It was sufficient to, to solve the problem and re restore our broken relationship with God by him rising from the dead. And so we, as a church, we believe that that really took place. And we have put our faith in that um, as the provision necessary so that we could be right with God. If that is your hope, your prayer, your wish, your belief, then I invite you to come and to eat and drink with me.